0: Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us.
1: Now, this fourth Sunday after Easter afternoon, we're going to turn in God's word to the New Testament reading, Second Timothy chapter 1, particularly looking at verses 11 through 14, page 995 in your pew Bible. Now, if we were to ask the Apostle Paul what our first duty is in relation to the gospel, he would give us three answers. And they're here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 11, he tells us that it is the believer's duty to communicate the gospel. Paul also says that we are to suffer for the gospel in verse 12. And then in verses 12 through 14, that we are to guard the gospel. Now, some of us may ask, well, well, Paul... Is that it? I mean, surely there is more to a Christian's duty than that. And we can imagine, then, how would Paul answer us? I think he would probably point out to us that the world we live in today is not too far removed from his own world in the first century. In other words, that traditional Orthodox Christianity is about to see itself politically and socially marginalized in America in a way unprecedented in its history. Now, One Christian lecturer said it this way, it is one thing to be regarded as intellectually foolish for believing in the resurrection of the dead, it's quite another thing to be regarded as morally dangerous for believing that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. You see, my dear friends, societies, well, they generally tolerate the idiots, allowing them to go about their daily business unhindered. But in a society where they label you as a peddler of hate, well, you have a much harder time. And conservative American Christians must realize that they might soon not even be regarded as legitimate members of society in many quarters. And the speed that this is happening to us, there is little or no time for the church to prepare her people for this. Now, we do not know how long this ethical winter is to last. What we do know is that it will end, that Americans will realize that abandoning Christian ethics and the gospel in favor of a come-as-you-are, whomever-you-are, is not the answer. It will not ultimately satisfy. It will leave chaos in its wake for our grandchildren because the only answer that brings true human freedom must be grounded in the truths of the gospel, revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul, in his final letter to his dear disciple Timothy, makes this point right at the beginning of this important, Missive to him as he sat waiting for his execution in Rome. So it would do us well to look here for a moment and see what Paul has to say to us this afternoon. So, first, we have a duty, you and I, my dear friends, to communicate the gospel. I want you to notice first the typical way of the Apostle Paul here, how he summarizes the gospel in a densely worded sentence, a string of indicatives of what God has done for you and for me unilaterally. You see it there in verses 8 to 10. The gospel is the power of God who saved us and called us to, be a, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now notice how Paul takes these truths and makes this his exhortation to Timothy and to you and I. Notice how it's life and immortality which Christ achieved, that is brought to light through the gospel. So it must be our imperative that we should proclaim that gospel. That shapes the urgency of our message. That all human beings are made for eternity. And the only way to receive that for which we are created is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that the gospel is good news, not just good advice. It doesn't just solve the problem of today. It brings life and immortality. It answers the basic human fear of physical death and spiritual death. That itself should drive us to share it with others. Now notice next how Paul continues that he was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Now that's the same combination he used in his first letter as well. But what I want you to look at for a moment with me is the emphatic I. In the Greek, it's the word ego. It has this sense of personal wonder that he, Saul of Tarsus, should have been given this amazing privilege. Now, you and I can understand this, can't we? The deeper we are immersed in the truths of the gospel, the deeper we understand our union in Jesus Christ, the greater the wonder. The amazement at this glorious gift that Charles Wesley wrote so profoundly about, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? My dear friend, do you have that sense of personal wonder today? Or have you been wounded by those around you? Do you turn left and right in the horizontal, never looking vertically up again to the very God who in his grace and mercy saved you, you of all people. We stand with Paul in our own depth of sinfulness and fallenness and our God has reached down into the miry pit and drawn us out and stood us on a solid rock. That's you and me. Notice how he also says that what he proclaims has been established by the apostles. Now, we know there are no apostles of Christ today, but we have the apostolated, if I can make that verb, scripture. That is what we possess And that is what we must proclaim because the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And where is that found? But in the very Word of God. There is no new gospel today, my dear friends. It has been established and has been proclaimed throughout the world. And so, you and I, when we proclaim it to our friends, or our work colleagues, we are fulfilling that great role of herald, of the preacher. When you give a biblical understanding of how we live to your friends or family, you are the teacher who draws out the implications of the gospel. But we know that communication is never one way, isn't it? we know that we're going to receive some response back from those who hear us, that have understood what we have communicated to them of their need and of this glorious gift. And that's where Paul takes us next, because you and I must suffer for the sake of the gospel. Look back at verse 8 for a moment, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul's already summoned Timothy not to be ashamed, but to take his share of suffering for the gospel. He's going to enlarge on this in chapter 2. But now in verse 12, he reemphasizes this, not asking Timothy to experience something that he himself has not also experienced, which is why he says, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. What is this link then? between suffering and the gospel? Is it really inevitable? Is it merely down to the way I present the gospel? Have I not been winsome enough to people so that they react strongly against me? My dear friends, when the gospel is spoken, men and women react. And if they have not been called by God effectively to hear it into salvation, they will reject it, reject it utterly and angrily. Why is that? Because God saves sinners in virtue of his own purpose and his own grace and not in virtue of their efforts. And that is what offends them. I mean, why should something that's so free offend them so? Because if they started to believe that it were true, their entire life would have to change. Everything that they have done up to that point on all that they have built, it is as if every unbeliever has constructed their own tower of Babel and lifted it up into the sky so that they might touch God on their own terms. And to accept the gospel would mean that they would have to tear it down brick by brick until nothing is left except that one hill where that cross of Calvary stood that saved them. That is what Paul meant by the stumbling block of the cross. And so many preachers and teachers today are under pressure now to mute that because they realize if they continue as they do, they will suffer for the gospel. They'll be socially punished by all those around. It has only begun, my dear friends. So that is why we must take care in these days, for no one can preach Christ crucified with faithfulness and not escape opposition. So we must therefore be on our guard. And that's where Paul takes us as we conclude. We are to guard the gospel. That is the Christian's duty. Notice what he says here. In verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me. And in verse 14, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Notice how Paul refers to the gospel in these two ways, a pattern of sound words and a good deposit. The sound words are healthy words. It's the same expression in the Greek that's used in the gospels of people whom Jesus has healed. Previously, they have been maimed or diseased, and now they are made well or whole. They are sound in that way. So the gospel, the faith of believers, is a sound teaching consisting of sound words because it is not maimed or diseased, but it is whole. It is what Paul charged the leaders in the church on Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 to keep this wholeness of the counsel of God. So in that way, we must also notice how these sound words have been given by Paul to Timothy in a pattern. In Paul's first letter, he describes himself, the object of Christ's amazing mercy and perfect patience, as an example to those who were to believe in him. It's used in the sense of prototype, as a standard. In this case, Paul is telling Timothy to keep before him as his standard of sound words, the model of sound teaching he has received, that he has heard from the Apostle Paul. He's not to depart from it. He is to follow it, to hold it fast. And he must do so in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That is, Paul is not just concerned with what Timothy is to teach, but how he is to do it. His personal convictions, his instruction of others, as he grips hold of Paul's teaching, are to be characterized by faith and love, a sense of service to those who hear it, as if there's some tender physician coming to the sin-sick soul to apply the healing balm of Gilead. And we seek these qualities because our Savior himself drew near with the healing touch and the healing word of the forgiveness of sins. And that is the treasure, this good, noble, and precious treasure deposited for safekeeping with each and every believer. Christ had entrusted it to Paul, and Paul now entrusted it to Timothy. And so this deposit of apostolic teaching has gone from age to age to the present day to this very afternoon, my dear friends, within your own hearing. You see, even in Paul's day, there were heretics abroad bent on corrupting the gospel And so robbing the church of this priceless treasure that had been entrusted to it. So we must be on watch. We must be on guard. For we know that that was the situation Timothy faced even at that time. For look at verse 15 where Paul sets the sobering context. You are aware, he says, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. The simple tense of the verb turned away must refer to some particular event that triggered this apostasy. We're not sure of what it was, but we do know is that the churches of Asia had so depended upon Paul that perhaps his arrest and his imprisonment in Rome seemed to them as though Christianity and its cause was now lost, and it was every man or woman for himself or herself. So for him, this turning away was not a personal affront, but you can see instead his pastor's heart as he sees in it a disavowal of the apostolic gospel. It must have seemed so tragic to him. Because in Acts chapter 19, we're told that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord and many believed. And now look, all who are in Asia have turned away from him. A great awakening followed by a great defection. So where does Paul go? What comfort can he have? What comfort can you and I have in a period of the church's declension? A time when it seems that the days have passed for those of us who are old enough to remember as children or hearing people talk of Christmas and Easter and how we had to get the folding chairs out on Christmas Eve, how you had to arrive early if you wanted to get a seat, And what we have today, where can we draw comfort in these difficult times when a friendship ends because we've shared the gospel with someone we care about? Well, look at where he goes. It's in verse 14 that Timothy can guard the gospel treasure not by his own energy alone, but by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us what paul is saying is this the deposit is mine paul could say because christ had committed it to him if paul was also persuaded that christ himself would keep it safe until that day when he would have to give an account for his ministry And how is Paul confident in this? In verse 12, we see it. I know him. I know whom I have believed. And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He entrusted to you and me, that is true, but Christ himself will guarantee its survival. My dear friend, take comfort in that assurance that God himself is the guarantee of the gospel. It is his responsibility to preserve it. When you share the gospel with someone who does not believe, it is as if you have gone to the nearest cemetery and preached to the graves around you. For that is the spiritual reality of those who walk among us. We may have to watch and wonder as those around us, like ourselves, come to trust in Christ. There may be so few. We may have to watch an increasing apostasy in the church. But we must not fear. God will not allow the light of the gospel to be finally extinguished. True, he committed it to us, frail and fallible creatures that we are. He placed it in brittle, cracked earthenware pots. And so we must play our part guarding and defending the truth of the gospel. But in entrusting it to our hands, my dear friends, he never took his hands off it. He himself is the final guardian. He will preserve the truth which he has committed to you. We know this because Christ himself promised that by his blood it would be secure So our first duty is to communicate the gospel to use old ways of making it known throughout the world and in doing so we will undoubtedly suffer for it for the authentic gospel has never been popular because it humbles sinners way too much and we're called to suffer for the gospel and we're tempted to trim it to eliminate those elements that give offense and cause opposition, to mute the notes that jar the modern ear, we must resist that temptation. For above all, we are called to guard it, to guard the gospel, keep it pure, whatever the cost, and preserving it against every corruption. Guard it faithfully, spread it actively, and suffer for it, bravely. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church, simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.